2: What's up, everybody? It's Unpaid Bill from Team Supreme. For this classic episode of Quest Supreme, we are speaking with the incredible, the one, the only, George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic. Last week, we reissued part one of this conversation. Now, in part two, we did a deep dive and asked these sorts of rabbit hole fan questions that make QLS unique. This was taped in mid 2020 during those early days of the pandemic. So, Team Supreme was still learning how to get along virtually. And in general, but the quality of the conversation is amazing. Make sure you check out all our interviews with Bootsy Collins, Larry Blackman of Cameo, and the late George Brown of Cool and Gay. QOS loves bringing you that funk, and it gets no better than George Clinton.
0: You mentioned uh, Bootsy. I just wanted to ask you, since we had him on the show... And he told some awesome stories about you. But one of the <laughs> stories he mentioned was something involving you creative process in the Bermuda. Was it the Bermuda Triangle? The Bermuda y'all?
1: Triangle. <laughs> and he, he said
0: that you guys used to do that, but he never knew why that place and to, to like be creative. Can you please tell you him?
3: went fishing in the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that we, we, we was on one after the mothership <laughs> connection. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> You know the whole thing was Bimini. We went to Bimini in to hang out, and the number one Bimini road and everything. I saw all of the fish advertisement. Mister Wiggle the Worm was a lure. I was collecting information for the motor booty affair.
4: Wow!
3: He didn't know what we was talking. What I was doing, you know, I was just gathering the topics, you know, from that topic, and it all came together pretty good. You know, we was on a roll. You had no fear of drowning in the Bermuda Triangle at all? Oh, man. I mean, it's all. Need to fear that shit everywhere. We ran it. <laughs> he tell you that we, we saw an alien spaceship. He tell you something happened to him. Yes, yeah, he told us about this, this for in, real. In you got to tell us that. No, that's for real. I mean, we drove up there from Detroit after finishing the album, got there and went, and went by Gary's house. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning and we just got there. We saw a light that looked like laser, you know, or, or light, but it was a straight beam. And I said, did you see that? He said, what was it I, said, I don't know. Five minutes later, we get off the highway, we'd going down a country road, the same light. Sounded like two blocks in front of us right through the trees and hit the ground and sparked like, like, you know, electricity. On the right side, then on the left side of the highway, and the third time it hit the car right on the driver's side where I was sitting, it beat it up like you know mercury out of a thermometer. Yes. You know it beat it like oil and water, you know that mm-hmm, consistency, mm-hmm. and and roll right off the car. <laughs> what the hell? And and at that time, that <laughs> what's weird about it that we didn't realize this for years, the street lights was going off. Now, remember the first time we saw this light, the weird thing was that you saw light in daylight.
0: Right, right. I didn't you, could see,
3: yeah. you could see a streak of light in daylight. That was the weirdest thing. But when this when it happened and hit the car, the street lights was dimming, a car had its lights on in the back of us. I looked behind us, and by the time we turned around, the street was completely dark. Our, our headlights was getting dark. We had to drive like five blocks, what's going on? We got five blocks, and you can look to your left, you can see street lights on again. And as we pull up, but by this time, it's nighttime. We don't realize this. I don't, we don't th- talk about it or realize this for years. My daughter said, well, y'all look like y'all seen a ghost. She said, give me a kiss, I'm getting ready to go to bed. Now that should have let us, you know, put, you know, let us know that 10 o'clock in the morning, she's going to bed. This 7 o'clock at night. We did not realize that for years that that had taken place like that.
0: That time elapsed.
3: Basically. Yep, and I called Boots to ask him, <laughs> what time did we get there? When we was coming from the student, he remembered. And then when I told him, what, the Barbarella, what was she doing? He's, she's going to, he said, like, how could she be? That same thing I said, we never thought about that for years.
4: That's crazy.
2: <laughs>
3: <man>. <laughs> That's never, that's never. So, <laughs> so trendy
2: chemical substances involved in yeah. this and, and what was, Mr. George was, Clinton?
3: What's what deep about it, we had no, just come I, across I, the border, we had just come across the border into Canada, so we didn't have no trendy chemical substances. Oh! you, see? <laughs> you yeah. have
2: Canadian trendy chemical substances Bill, do yeah. you
1: truly believe that we are the only beings of this level in this entire galaxy
2: no but the fact that george clinton saw aliens means everything is perfectly correct in the world i believe it like all of course he did (laughs) i believe everything he's saying (laughs) You thought i see them before he did he saw them they're they're. (laughs) there listen george clinton saw them they're there well uh, let
1: me ask you so what is what drew you to i mean you know Next to Sun Ra, I don't know any other black figure in music that deals with, oh, with the exception of Earth, Earth Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire,
4: yeah. That
1: deals with Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll say that, and I'm glad Jimmy you brought Hendrick.
0: up.
1: And Hendrix, yes, yes, absolutely, Jimmy Hendrix. And the, and the thing is, is that, I'm glad you 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 brought up the UFO story because it's like even in preparing for this interview I know that with you with like at the time in 76 77 close encounters of the third kind and Star Wars I tried watching Star Wars I'm I'm famous for falling asleep during Star Wars for the I'm sorry, it's just a film no that No matter puts which me movie, to... you just any I, yo dog, I've yet I've seen Star Wars but I've not gotten through one concurrent like that's what you're with you feeling.
4: I'm with you. I've this never is seen Star Wars ever. of everything. I'm with you.
1: But how are you able to get into cuz I think Richard Pryor once brought up the fact that you know, a lot of black people aren't into science fiction because we rarely see us like we're not painted in the future in a lot of this production, but you were our vision of an Afrofuturist society. So, what what brought that on? Like, what made you not just want to make people shake their ass and dance like most people? Like, most people live in the present. I feel in black music, whereas you're talking about I years think, from. I now. think Star Trek. I think
3: Star Trek. I was addicted to that. By the time I saw Star Wars, that was like. A cowboy and western movie that was like for kids, but I liked it. It was for kids, but already was into the the mothership theories and the the sci-fi that that um Star Wars had more stories. So I was always into that. And when it came time to make a record, I want to do a funk opera. Well, that's when we started to thinking about. First, we did Chocolate City. And once I saw put blacks places where they weren't ordinarily seen, that was, that was the cool thing to do. So the next one I was saying, put them in outer space. You hadn't seen no black people, nobody, but Aurora. She was the only one you saw out there. Mm-hmm. But what about, you see this dude out there on his spaceship, riding it like it's a Cadillac. That's a, <laughs> all of a sudden it's a connection. cool place to be, you know, Mothership yeah. Connection. That worked, you know, so then the, Clones is the weirdest one. Now you want to hear the story. Clones was the second one after Mothership. I, I got on a train. Alice. I got on a train in Dallas, Texas. There was a book on this train. This is the first day this train is running at Dallas between terminals. The very first day, the book is on the on the seat. Nobody's on the plane train but me. I picked up the book. It said Steve Swanson has docked on spaceships over fifteen hundred times, blah blah blah. But he could never get used to these trains at the Dallas Airport. So I'm thinking this got something to do with this train and you know, so I think I'm reading it. I get off the train in Portland, Oregon. Every book stand that I saw had the book in it and it was called The Clones. I thought it was the way so I went to the library and asked about what is clones and they told me it was protected by the freedom of information. Now, when they told me that, my whole, you know, I got nosy for real, And Now I want to know. And that's what the whole Dr. Funkenstein, they gave me a book called Dr. Moreau, okay. Island of Dr. Dr. Moreau. <laughs> Dr. That. Moreau, that was that, the closest yeah. they could give to me without, you know, going over. And they said I could get a book called The Chariot of the Gods. I really got that book, and when I read that book, that was all my albums from then on: Clones, Funk <laughs> uh, Telekey, uh, Yes, and Motor Booty. All of them was going in that same direction of all those theories, you know. Yeah, I
1: assure you that Smokey Robinson was not doing that. in
3: 1977. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, at so all. what he did? You no, know, what he used to do, He used to take kid t- kids books. And do all the nurse all the nurse rounds and write songs from them. That sound right. Yeah. It was just a, it was another version of that, though. Speaking of which, I
1: know I know that you are a massive fan of Sly Stone. I, I have two questions about Sly, and I've been you know as of this recording, uh, happy belated birthday. You're, you're you just celebrated uh, your seventy ninth birthday, Ooh, right. and usually around your birthday time i'll i'll spend a month where I'll, I'll do nothing but dive into the p-funkology of of your work so especially quarantining i've probably watched <laughs> at least at least 10 of the concerts between 76 and 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 the mid 80s like at least four times each i have a question though about the p-funk earth tour now knowing what role sly plays in your life uh as a mentor you you've definitely been on record about how witty his songwriting was and and his and his arrangements and whatnot but you know at that time during the p-funk earth tour you know the 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 torch has definitely been sort of passed and Mm -hmm. you're clearly now the alpha or the leader and, you know, in 1976, I think that's when his Heard You Miss Me While I'm Back album was out, which, you know. Right. Cre- creatively,
3: was, that He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Somebody else did that. Album. I get it.
1: I get it. I get it. With a wink. But I want to know, how do you think that was psychologically? Because the thing is, is that usually when you're when you're when you are a maverick. Of that level that he was, usually you're supposed to have a really good history showing that you can have a good eight to 15 year run where you're clearly the leader. Like Jay Z has had a 15 to 20 year run. Prince had, you know, I'm gonna obsess some Prince fans as far as the genius level, like he's had that streak. Sly, yeah, guy, you know, I'll, I'll give him from a whole new thing to about small talk. So maybe, maybe Mm. seven, eight years, but clearly in 1976, here's, here's the person that should be a maverick. And he's kind of like in depth to you. Like he's in an opening position. And I know that that was your hero. Do you think that psychologically that messed with him a little bit that it should have been in reverse? Like you were the new kid on the block and, He should have been the person that should have been the epicenter?
3: It it may have, it may have, but at that time, we were, you know, we were doing other kind of drugs and shit at that time. And you didn't have to to contemplate shit like that. You you know, it was less trendy for for sure, you (laughs) know, and it was hard to actually, you know, and he was undoubtedly that motherfucker with all the shit that he had done. He may have felt a little bit. He'll tell you. He'll tell you in a minute. You can, head, you can headline this time. Let me headline now. And you headline next week. You know, wow. not on stage, but just in socializing. Mm-hmm. When he have to be the star, he'd ask you. Let me be the star right here. Wow. You know, really? You know, you, oh, no, no, he, he's that kind of real. <laughs> he, he, hey, you, everybody know that you're doing. Let me show time here. Let me look good. And, you know, it's some funny shit because you have to say, yeah, you can, but don't do me harsh because he, he can do your ass harsh when he want to. Oh, yeah, so you have to say, I'm going to be starring next week. And he laughed. Ah, I love motherfuckers that know how to get in. But, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> First of all, I, I just want to clarify, because the thing is, this, this is about the fourth time you mentioned drugs. But I almost feel like for you... Okay. It's more of an enhancer. No, but I don't see it in that David Ruffin sort of
0: down. Like, for you at least. It was. It was. I was about to say, I We're going to let you say it. I
1: think for you, it's more like a creative juice thing than it was. Or either that or you just hit it well.
3: I hit it well, man. (laughs) <laughs> the thing wow, was, is that- that I thought that I was cool too but I, I hit it well but I was going through because I, I wasn't doing what I really wanted to be doing so I mean I couldn't get out of that I, I was satisfied with my own self but it really wasn't when you look back at it it took a long time for me to just say hey no let me come up and do a, a Medicaid fraud dog let me get my ass and do that's hard to do when you get caught up and fighting for the rights and make music at the same time, you can lose your energy, you know what I'm saying? Okay. It can get cypher, so, but, um, Let me ask, I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating, but let me
1: ask you, if you were, let's say, half clear. OK, let's say that whatever, whatever you've done between the stuff with Timothy Leary all the way to, you know, I saw the Chelsea Clinton, <laughs> Chelsea Clinton crack pipe story. Damn,
3: you, you've you been watching a lot of that shit.
1: Dude, I, I know uh, your whole life. Hold up the what Chelsea saying, Clinton
3: crack it, pipe story. You can just make references yeah. and
0: just drop them. <laughs> it's like, not right.
3: Especially
1: those two names. <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. Okay, I you need you to know I'm that? Like, wait, can you well, tell the Chelsea Clinton <laughs> crack pipe story?
3: <laughs> Clear, that. Clear that. Clear that up, man. Don't need yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry. <laughs> that ain't fair. Okay, tell the story.
0: Well, which one? The Chelsea Clinton? You tell that You tell that one. You okay, so Chelsea. basically...
1: Chelsea Clinton goes to her first P-Funk show.
0: And, oh, oh, I know
1: this one. And, um, you know, his last name's Clinton, her last name's Clinton. And they're like, <laughs> hey guys, take a photo together. And George was sort of on the spot and had a a pipe in his what? hand. And he decided, yo, this is, gonna look cool. this is not going to look cool.
0: This
1: is not going to look cool with a crack pipe next to the first daughter. So he, he hid it, but he had to hide it by fisting The crack pipe, which was burning his hand, burning (laughs) hot, and that photo's in People
4: magazine. (laughs) Wow.
0: Do do they know? Do the Clintons know the real story behind?
3: Well, he told the story.
0: Okay, I just mean I just didn't know if you had actually interacted with them. No, they
3: didn't know. They didn't know then. Her and Hollifield gave me a birthday cake on the stage right there. (laughs) Wow. And wait, while we I, own
4: drugs, wait, is, do we, is that you actually doing the bump on the uh the what you call it cover the um placebo uh, uh funktelky versus placebo syndrome where like where's no, uh,
3: <laughs> but Bob
4: is that you it, it look it looked pretty convincing
3: yeah I'm, it looked pretty convincing no I didn't do that okay I, mean that, uh, <laughs> I was I, I was I was I was pantomiming though.
1: Okay. Uh, I don't right. I don't even know if you know the first time I ever smelled secondhand smoke.
3: What kind of
0: <laughs> smoke?
1: Yeah, the C-word.
0: Oh yeah, that's shit stink?
1: Yeah, I it was crazy.
0: <laughs> it's like a skunky type thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I walked into yes, George's you. room one second and I took a <laughs> whiff of secondhand smoke and I thought <laughs> I was gonna die. <laughs> I ran to everyone like how
4: did you I'm on crack now.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: did you, so how did you get clean, George? Like how, how did you? Because we looking at you now. I mean, you look—you look amazing.
3: You, re- yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you?
4: How did you get clean? What was that process like?
3: I got a good wife, first of all. That was a good help. But after, you know, I got sick one time, and it don't take mm-hmm. me one time to get sick. You know, because I thought I was Superman, I guess. But I got sick one time, and then I realized, damn, you you' seventy two years old mm. you seventy two seventy one something some right rate, and I say no you got you got a lot of work to do you get I came out I, I never looked and what you realize you have enough time to rest. you've been in the hospital a couple of days mm. and you realize you have enough time to rest, it's gonna take a long time to get this shit straightened out. the legal business that's what got me going once I started getting on the mission of um Trying to get my legal business straight, I started thinking about the heirs and who I'm going to leave, what I'm going to leave. I got to get these copyrights straight. So from then on, that took up all my energy. And once I did that, I started wow. feeling good about myself. And then when I started making records again, like I said, the Shake the Gate and um, and I wrote the book. All of those were part of my plan to to be on this movement till like, I get the copyrights back. And that that's up, started feeling like 1975 again when I started that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, Medicaid fraud, I was really, really proud of that album.
4: Nah, no, it was and, a dope and, record. It was, yeah, just yeah. the fact that it that was. We got a new album from you, and it sounded current, but it didn't sound like you were pandering, like trying to do it. We're the trying young to catch up, kids, right. would, yeah, trying to catch yeah, up. No, yeah, it was. That, it was that, current, that, but it was still you.
3: That was the hardest thing to, to, to balance that being of to you know today and what we were about. But I have my grandkids in the group. The so grandkids. they know they know they know what's going on today, they know what was going on with us. So they helped me bridge the things and I can put the concepts in it, and they helped me bridge it with their friends. You know, Mm -hmm. and we got such a crew now. They was killing before the pandemic things happened. We was play with the Chili Peppers, 90,000 people in uh, Australia. Uh And it was like, damn, it was like the mothership was landing. And that happened for a whole year and a half for the last two years. That's I was going
4: to ask you about producing the Chili Peppers because you produced them. How did you land Ricky game? Ricky Stiley, yeah. And the Uplift MoFo party plan.
3: They were, they were, you know, they wanted to be funkadelic. They, 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 you know, they put their work in. So it was easy to work with them. You know, they was already funkadelic fans and they knew what they wanted to do, but they wanted to do it punk. They wasn't trying to be slick. <laughs> they could actually play slick music, but they went out of their way. If they play something really good, they make you erase it. They wanted it wow. to sound like punk. They was kind of like Jerry Garcia then. You know, they didn't want to learn okay. no better. I mean, play them. They they actually like jazz music, right? Yeah, they they wasn't trying to play it. You know what I'm saying? Hell, he he could actually really play, but he he went out of his way. Yeah, he he went out of his way to. Nah, you ain't saving that shit.
4: The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective.
0: And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
2: Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1 800 Discover to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: I didn't get my question out because we got sidetracked by Chelsea. Can you please tell us? Can you please tell us the David Ruffin sly story? Oh yeah, that's right.
0: It was a precursor to Clinton story. Yes.
1: Just, just the question oh, of yeah. is, is commercial for Questlove Supreme enough. George Clinton on the <laughs> oh, next. Oh, that was, Supreme.
3: That, that, that was the fundamental. That, that's some. That's some superstar drug stuff. There, you know, <laughs> <laughs> once, you, once you've once been a star and you're down, you don't realize that you ain't a star no more. Especially if you drank your own drugs, and and I felt that we were a typical. The three of us was the typical of that particular thing. That time we was going to see a friend of mine who was the dealer, who loved us, who would give us anything we wanted. And so we just had to like play cool and let him do his thing. But David wasn't in in no you know mood to be being nice something. to him. <laughs> He was—he oh, was, he was still a temptation, but he wasn't
4: in his was mind. mind. Right,
3: right, yeah, you know. And, and so <laughs> we tried to get him <laughs> not to ruin it, so we don't get our dope. <laughs> and he's like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> 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 and Sly trying to—he's he, trying to referee, telling him, "No, George got it. He right man. You got to listen to George. I say, "Boy, if you could, we had a picture of the three of us." Here, trying to do this, you know, this is a funny shit. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's a so funny, man. <laughs> Let's go get the shit. Fuck it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it sounds like the scene in Boogie Nights with the firecracker.
3: I know exactly. Okay, that's, <laughs> it, is, it is that?
1: <laughs> is this the story with the real to real tape with Sly? Oh no,
3: no, that's another. That's another uh, story. I thought this was the whole oh, story. No, no, that's. What I meant the real to real tape. Yes. Oh man, no, that's a dope deal. It. With- he had the dope dealer. <laughs> he told the dope dealer, I'm going to let you keep my reel. This is the reel to my album. Oh. Just Give me some dope on the credit. You can hold the album. But what oh. <laughs> nothing on the reel. <laughs> <laughs> and so we do that a couple of times, but I'm getting scared. I'm getting scared. So, you know, I said, no. Nah, I, I, I don't, ain't nothing on the tape, man. I tell the dude, ain't nothing on the tape. Oh, you know, ain't nothing take. Man. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, this after we done did it two or three times, the dude would tell me, "Don't you have to love him? Don't you just love him? You nobody would get mad, and nobody can get mad at it." Yeah. <laughs> really?
0: But,
3: you know that <laughs>
0: must be a medical, <laughs> not for nothing. And I said this to Bootsy too. I was like, "Y'all are like medical marvels. Like, not only do you look the way you do, but you also your memories are like perfectly intact. Like, what do you?" Well, learn-
3: I I'm just saying it because he. He reminded me about. I forgot. I put all that shit in the book.
0: Yeah, but it's still at the words. You was like, "Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about." Like it was yesterday. Oh
3: yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yeah. So it was, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. That was some funny shit.
1: <laughs> um, oh Go, go ahead, <laughs> Finzak. What was your question?
4: Oh, um, I was just gonna ask you, um, of all the just the lyrics that you've written. You know, you were. Uh-huh. A big inspiration to me as an as an MC because you would have just all these amazing plays on words and these puns and you know this fish tale begins where most fish tails end like all that stuff you just did really inventive stuff with language and I just always wondered did you have like a journal that you would write this stuff in or would it all just be off the top What was just the, the writing process for your lyrics like?
3: I had people with pop, you know the band members like mm-hmm. Peanut. Anytime he heard me l- say something or laugh and I hear something and I repeat it, he would write it down. And all I had to wow. do was say it. And he would, in the studio, when I get ready to go in the studio, he would give me a list of things that have nothing to do with each other that I said. And then when we, we get a concept, we just start throwing puns at it and using, like I said, using the, the Smokey Robinson theory of you know pun on top of pun. But we add two more to it to make it absurd, you know. We use uh, synonyms, antonyms, or homonyms. It didn't matter. We just used all of it. If it sounded the same, we throw it in there, and and we could actually get it. Especially with bootsy, we could say mm-hmm. anything to bootsy, and if he said in that voice, you know, it would actually work. You know, like um, be my beach, mm-hmm. right? You know. He said some of the stupidest stuff. And the, the dumber it was, the funnier it was if he said it, because he had that overtone like Jimmy Hendrix, well, uh, mm-hmm. Oh I'm walking on your boat, baba. <laughs> and I had oh, that. So the octopus jokes into, and all that stuff? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so so yeah,
1: is we, is he making that up at, at the microphone, or is there just a list of stuff We he's We've
3: be, been feeding it to him in his earphones. We've oh, been wow. be feeding it to him. <laughs> we would say to him, and he said after, so he'd land at the next available spot. But I would be doing it to Boogie, would be doing it to him. And once we got a concept, we can just say anything. Now, songs like Ryan Rhinestone, Rockstar, Monster of a Baby Baba, I would write those parts all the way out. I asked him this question. Now I got to ask you.
1: Probably, you know, in in the history of all the songs that you've written, I don't think that to be alive in 1978, when that song was at its most popular, I've never seen it. And I was seven years old at the time. But if a seven year old knows that song, then, you know, it's something. Why did you guys just not call that song? Wind me up. You mm. <laughs> <laughs> could have just called it. Wind me up. It, uh, it took me Bootsilla? forever to find it because I didn't know what boozilla was.
3: <laughs> like, why did y'all not call it "Wind Me Up"? He, he was a rock star monster, of a doll baby. That was a car, that was a toy. <laughs> that was a toy called Bootzilla. made by the makers of funky things to play with. That was a whole concept. So you wanted to sell him
1: up. as a toy, but
3: not as the as the hook. Okay. No, no, no. As the toy. That's
0: but then he got scared like after
3: after he got after he got so big. I told him it's going to be hard to live up to this, you know. so don't don't equate yourself with being this character because mm. it's, way, it's way bigger than you're going to possibly be because we was on a roll then. I had done it with, we love to funk you, so You can talk about yourself mm-hmm. and not believe it. The main thing is don't believe this shit because if it works, you're going to be in a hell of a position to try to live up to it. Just mm. do it and leave it alone. And that was Ball. hard for him because, like I told him, the boots got bigger, the glasses got bigger, yeah. everything get bigger until it's too heavy to carry. Part two of <laughs> this question. Part two of this question.
1: Do you think part of him kind of wanted to sabotage this boot was made for Funkin, because that <laughs> yeah, album that was the complete year. opposite
3: of yeah, that's when he that's when stretching he
4: stretching out the year. play the
3: year yeah, yeah that's when he that's when he. He, he, he wanted control and I let him have control of, of that album. Uh, it was, it was different. No, it wasn't the same.
1: Yeah. But, but it, the thing it, was, it, it was so like, ah, I always wanted to, like, I listened to it. I appreciate it now 40 years after the fact. But back then it was, I was like, wait, something's different about this record than the other three. And what did he know, say? No, no, no. I mean, I never asked him about it, but I think as I got older, I was thinking like there was a point where Bootsy could have actually overshadowed the
3: entire P Funk universe, he, 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 and
1: he had chose not to. to.
3: He had started. We had started to let him headline the shows. That's where it, it had got to that point to where he was that you know. Do you think that, that scared at the same him? Time, well, it scared him. He has to him. He got shingled. That's when he got this shingle on his very first date by himself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we had the political business of the trolls was entering the picture, trying to tear it apart. Mm-hmm. It was getting too big. There wasn't going to be another Motown. The, right. the industry had made up their mind. There was not going to be another Motown, and we was at that level. To to that was beginning to be, you know. After we got Uncle Jam Lamy, they thought we were going to have Shaka. And Larry, because all of us was together by then.
1: Yeah. Right. You're on the same label. I forgot that. Yep. With, speaking of clones, I always wanted to know what were your thoughts on all of the P Funk music that didn't come from the P Funk camp? That was obviously so derivative of the P Funk sound. And I'm talking about.
4: Oops! Upside your head. I'm
1: talking uh, about Gap Band. I'm talking <laughs> about uh, Dookie Stick <laughs> by uh, yeah, uh, uh George, George Duke. Duke.
4: George Duke and yeah. uh, Stanley Clark.
1: I mean th- yeah. the thing is, is that kind
2: that of
3: that you- scared us. That one really? Really? Us. Yeah. <laughs> I told you you better you better get get on your get on your thing because that one's close. That Dookie Stick. <laughs> 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 and, and, and reach for it, reach for it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I said, like, damn, did you sneak off and do a record with them or
2: something?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like it was going to get that to be a, a genre. I, I wanted it to be, you know, especially Ohio players. They were like, God damn. They were like one of the <clears> funkiest <throat> ones, you know. But them And then Prince, you know, he, him like Stevie, they was inclined to do pop music. But they could be funky as all hell, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, they just knew that they could get away with doing the pop music, and that's where you know the money was at. Or you could do wider variety of songs. But all of them, Prince and Jimmy Jam the time, all of them, they, that was funky. Rick, them, all of them was beginning to be, mm-hmm. you know, a funk genre. Irwin and Fire was was popping at first, but then they started embracing it as mm-hmm. funk after a while. You, you know, we asked uh, Philip Bailey,
1: "What was his thoughts on let 'Let's Take It to the Stage'?" <laughs> <What'd> he,
2: <play?
1: laughs> he said he never heard of it. But <laughs> <laughs> Bootsy said, "Right." <laughs> Philip Bailey said he. We played "Let's Take It to the Stage." From he had no clue that he was being uh, this sort of not. I, I, I took it as playful ribbing. Um, but yeah, no, like, did anyone, did any of those groups ever try to approach you, you know, snoofus and slipping the flamily
3: brick and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smoofus, yeah. Crazy. Chocolate, <laughs> Chocolate said That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> she was cool. That was, you know. No, nobody ever said that. It was, you know, only people we mentioned was people that we like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's what a lot of the people... To the distant thing when they start dissing each other, that was like playing the dozens when I was in school, and you uh-huh. start getting paid for it. You know that's what <laughs> hip hop. You
2: know
3: and jailhouse rhyming. You know once that became pop, once that became the music, okay, I, I saw that. That that makes sense, especially when I heard somebody like Rock Kim. You know that just like, damn, you can do it this fucking good. And then I didn't realize we had, remember right there in our town, Eminem. He was 15 years old, and he, we didn't even pay attention to him. He was, like, slim shading shady on our ass. And we knew him. <laughs> we knew he was bad, but we had no idea that mother was all of that. We wow. knew he was bad. But um, we watched him just, like, right under our nose, right in the studio, right while we there. Can you tell us a Prince story that we don't know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: You you, Probably. With,
3: you you worked were on Paisley Park for- Before we got on Paisley, he sent me a tape. <laughs> he sent me a tape he wanted me to work on. He sent it to the, and so we told him, we didn't want to be responsible for the tape. send it to the studio, the engineer, let the engineer get it set up. I would go in there and do a, do a part of it. I ain't, I ain't trust, you know, doing nothing with his, you know, his tapes I'm gonna go mm-hmm. be responsible. So we get to the studio, and I'm getting ready to put my part on, and it was called um, Cookie Jar. Oh, okay. We had already did a Cookie Jar, but it was different than that. The engineer put the tape on backwards. You know how you roll the tape off backwards? Some people roll the tape off tail tail out. Uh huh. And so when he put it on, he tried to clean the tape to get him some, the you know clean the tape. Is to get him some uh, clean, some space. Mm-hmm. But it was tail out. He raised half of the song on the tail end of the song. Oh shit! So I get That's to wild. the studio, and he's looking wild and scary and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even go in the studio. I said, "I'm not going. I'm not even going in. I want this to be. I was not here. I had nothing <laughs> to do with." This is the first time I had interaction with them, you know, and I know, right. you know, I would have got blamed for all of that. So I, I, I'm not going in there, y'all can tell him what happened and let him know that I was nowhere near it. Oh, my God. And so hopefully
1: it was,
3: uh, hopefully they it never, was a, a duplicate. No, it, they, they, never, they never got a chance to do it again. Shit. We heard the, the beginning of it was good, but about... A minute and a half into the song, it goes blank, and that was the only one he had of it.
4: Man, damn! Uh-huh. I'm glad I'm. <laughs>
1: let's let's pour let's pour some water out for that. Song.
4: That's not the story you wanted to hear, Amir. <laughs> 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 That's depressing. Did, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, he I, a, story. did did he ever play you when you did um, "Weekend Funk" for "Graffiti Bridge"? Did he ever play you the original "Weekend Funk"? Uh
3: huh. He
4: did what? what yeah,
3: were your I, I I I liked it. I like that 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 and soul psychedelic side. Both oh, okay. of those. Yeah, yeah. He played me both of those. Oh, virgins. what is it? Booty we, and how I knew. I'm yeah, it. yeah. He, yeah. He, he told us to he told us to go crazy on it, and and do, you know what we do. And me and Gary just went to lunch on it, and then he mixed <laughs> them both together. Have you heard the long version? Yeah, Where I got it. The, yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I so y'all crazy. Actually, you know what? I, I was shocked.
1: What's weird is that you're technically, the weekend funk that you're on, on Graffiti Bridge, is technically...
4: The, of all the stuff the, that uh, reworked.
1: The base of it is still the 84 version, mm-hmm. which to me speaks more of how far ahead of Prince's time Prince was. The fact mm-hmm. that... He could send you a reel that he worked on probably in 1983, um, and it still works for 1990, and you know, still works uh, 35 years after that fact. You know, I mean, once mm-hmm. once it was finally released uh, back in 2017, it still sounds you know fresh and right. And mm-hmm. so Have you
3: ever? Have you ever heard Paradigm? No. No? Wow, you did I have look, not heard that. Check that one out, him and my, just him and myself.
1: Really? OK.
3: It's so it's so it's, on, it's, on, it's one of my records.
1: OK. This is not with T.C. Ellis on it, right?
3: No, 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 not that. I not promise TCL. not, no
1: T.C. Ellis jokes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
3: No, <laughs> yeah. no, it's a, it, it's a, on um how late, I think.
1: You know what? It is, it is, it is. I did hear it. I heard it and it was it came out in ninety six, ninety-seven, I think. No, 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 no. It came out in two thousand. There is there's a song that while we were still working on voodoo, you sent D'Angelo. So it was like ninety eight, ninety nine. It was a CD. It was a cassette that he played us. I don't know when it came out, but you sent a song to him that was you and Prince, and I think the the vocals were uh, very speeded oh. to sound cartoonish. I I there was I don't know the title of the song was. Check it. Check out
3: uh, this Google Paradigm.
4: Okay, I will do that. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question about the Brides of Funkenstein and how you came up with the concept of putting them together. The song Birdie is just, I love that damn song. Um, What was the the concept of putting them together and then versus what, in your mind as a producer, was going to be the difference between them versus Parlay?
3: Okay, now check that. We did, Neil Bogart asked for a group after we were successful at, at Casablanca. And so we gave we, we gave him the um, The Brides of Funkenstein. Yeah. That was kinda that was dark for him, you know, he was bubblegum. He thought that was too dark. He wanted something really simple to grasp parlett. Mm. So we took those two girls, Lynn and Dawn, and gave them to Atlantic. We did the whole mm. album and that album was actually done for Julia Phillips. She did Close Encounters. The uh-huh. girl that produced and directed it. Yeah. She she wanted a disco version of. Uh, remember they were doing soundtracks of all yeah. the shows, all yeah. the big. So she wanted a version of that. So we did a warship two shot um, for for you know for her, and we was gonna give it to Neil. Neil wanted a pop. He wanted a parlette, So we. Gave that record to um Atlantic and then we did parlette for for, for you know for Casablanca. That's how we end up with the two girl groups.
1: So gotcha. was Neil a traditional label head? I meant like Yeah. Are but I'm I'm saying though, are you going to him plan uh do that stuff and he has an opinion on it or is he Are telling you? just me, turning in
4: the record?
3: Yeah. Give <laughs> no, me a three he, minute
1: and thirty second version of you know, "You're a fish and I'm a water."
3: No, like, no. He is was, he not just letting you do what you want? He pretty much let us do what he want, but he, he but he do that in, in the beginning. He knew what kind of group he wanted. Once we got there, we could do what we wanted with them. But he was so good at being a record man that you mm. tried to give him what he wanted, you know, because you know he's going to put everything in the world behind promoting it. When I said I wanted a spaceship, he just got me a bank, and they, and they got together, and they, I was able to get the spaceship. You know, he was on um Cameo Parkway. He's from he was out of on, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So he was from that school of records. He knew how to do from the Cameo Parkway version. Then Buddha, he was like God. He was like the bubblegum king. So by the time he got to Casablanca. He he was getting his shot. He could do pretty much what he wanted, and he did it. He was a real record man that spent everything on promotion. He was a promotion man. That's why I liked him. Who? I knew I could do a concept called Mothership or, you know, and he would give me the props that I need to, you know, to promote the record. He understood that.
0: All right, y'all.
2: Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream.
1: Change your perspective. Connecting
3: changes everything. A T and T.
1: I should have asked this question at the beginning because you're the you're the you're the you're the north star of this whole stratosphere, but how taxing is it to maintain personalities and deal with business? And because you're you're dealing with over twelve groups,
4: and across like know, three or four different labels.
1: Yeah, it's you're, <laughs> everyone has their record deal, and you know you gotta, you know
4: Parliament Funkadelic was the original Wu Tang, like it, George facts. George Clinton yes. was the original RZA. RZA, like he was exactly. the first dude. So mm-hmm. how how are you maintaining?
1: you know, add this member and add that member, make sure your payroll gets in time, and ah, we left that at uh, the bus station, and getting to get into the gigs on time, and one of the light rigs went out, or the drummer oh, or someone od backstage, like, how are you... <laughs> you gotta deal, you gotta be everyone's father, and collaborator, and... Yep.
0: And still be free. And
1: go home to And your, on and drugs! Go home. <laughs> and go home to your wife. <laughs> right, how, how, not how, but why?
3: Why would you ever want to do that to yourself? That was my mission. That's my mission, I mean, that's, I, I started this this at 13, and I wanted to be that, you know, uh, in this business, and I never changed it. When I got, Motown was my aspiration, Phil Spector was my aspiration, Jimi Hendrix, my aspiration, you know, and then whoever else come in and do it hard, that becomes my aspiration. When I hear slide, that was my Beatles turned me completely the fuck out. That's what oh my God, I wanted to do a funk opera once I saw uh Sergeant Pepper. Uh-huh. You know, from a songwriter standpoint, that that, that was impeccable, you know. Yeah. When the lyrics was nonsensical and but melodic and still you had a motherfucker doing an arrangement like Big band arrangement on a rock and roll band. They had a concept that worked. Cream, all of those things influenced me too.
1: So. Are there I mean, other genres? Are there other genres of music that we don't know that you're into? Like, how big is your jazz
3: vocabulary? Go
0: go for? go go go. What?
3: Go.
0: I was about to ask about your relationship with DC. Cause it's- go
3: go oh. go 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 just had it a little harder than funk did. Cause Gogo is religion. Gogo is religious. They don't want that shit to get out of DC. No, they do, but is... <laughs> nobody will take it. They don't get no, it. No, no. I mean, the DC people wanted to get out, but I'm saying the industry oh. don't. Yeah. N- that's that's some that's some right. that's some other kind of ooga. We call it ooga booga. Mm-hmm. You know I that? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that works. I don't care how big a star, but Gogo band get up on stage before you. <laughs> you imagine you don't stand a chance. Yes. You, you, can, uh, it. They, you better hope they don't play your record, Go-Go. Better than you? <laughs> better than you, okay? No, I didn't see that happening. Yes. So me and Chuck, me and Chuck's, we worked together before he was calling it Go-Go. One of his first songs that he did was, I don't care about the cold, baby, when you're hot. You're too much. Oh. When you're hot, yeah, you're yeah. hot. Yeah. Tiki was playing with us then and played that with them, and that was they grew for years before they became, you know, a go-go band. They were just the soul searcher.
0: Yeah.
3: You know
1: what? Wow. There's there's an interview that I heard from you in nineteen eighty. I think this is when um nineteen eighty. What was that? Oh Parliament's uh uh a tra- Trump-ipulation?
4: Trump-ipulation.
1: Trump-ipulation.
4: yeah you
1: did a month long residency I think you were promoting doing a month long residency at the Apollo Theater yeah, we kept the we kept the theater open. They was getting ready to close it down. Yeah, I was going to say, could you talk about how how does one
3: do a month long residency at the Apollo? We we needed some place to rehearse the new um, theatrical show called Popsicle Stick. That was a Trump manipulation album, and we needed some place to rehearse. Uh, Felipe was with us. Uh-huh. That's when he, we, he was um, Uncle Jam's army. So we needed some place to rehearse. And they needed to keep the theater open because they was getting ready to tear it down. We did the, our stunt there, Bob Marley played there after us and Jane Brown played after him and that we kept it open. It froze our ass off in there because they didn't have no heat in
1: there. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say now now it's nice and furnished and, yeah, it's catering really nice. and no more rats. But back in nineteen eighty, what was it?
3: That was a labor it, of love, was it they not? was almost it was almost closed then, like I said it was it hadn't been open that much. And um, I forget the, the people who owned it at the time. <laughs> there was some okay. hustlers. There was some hustlers owned it, but they kept it alive.
1: I'm rapid fire now. I got I'm, I'm headed back to the 60s. Is it true I heard a rumor that you are one of the background singers on Barbara Lewis's Hello, Stranger? No. That's not you?
3: No. OK. I, okay. I, always, loved, <laughs> I always loved that song. Pat Lewis, a friend of mine, who's pretty much singing on everything I did. She was one of the hot butter and soul. Yeah, she sang on all of them. Dion, Dion, Jackson, and and Barbara Lewis, all of those songs that sounded like Smokey.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I asked you this when I was doing the uh, the, the DJ set. So, you're t- you're telling me that some random guy came up to you and said, I can play guitar pretty good if you give me 25 bucks. And just for kicks, you decided to let him see see what would happen?
3: Yeah, that takes a lot of nerve. I think a lot of nerve. So that first
1: note that he hit on Get Off Your Ass and Jam is him. That shrill? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That is my favorite
3: shrill noise of all time. (laughs) He kept kept our attention from that shrill all the way to the song was finished. So is that you guys acting? Is that you guys reacting to him?
1: As yeah. you... because you hear either I don't know if it's Lynn Marbury say God like, like you hear yeah, it's it's almost <laughs> in like, it. it, sampleology yeah that her reaction is almost as much as a sample as that. what he yeah. was playing. So you yeah. guys are laughing at what you're hearing, uh-huh. and literally. It just all went down at once. That's it. The song wasn't written beforehand. It was just like, all right,
3: play anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just a track. We didn't shit. God damn. That's all. I didn't want to get in the way of that. That's why I made it so simple. You know, just don't say nothing. Just shit, goddamn, get off your ass. <laughs> and then he left and you never heard from him again. Never. We we wanted to talk to him. Cause I gave him fifty dollars. I wanted to give him more. That's
4: Man, I wanted to ask you about your work with Outkast and the Dungeon Family because they were certainly, you know, a fruit, you know, from your tree, you know, some from the P-Funk family. And you did Synthesizer on, uh, mm-hmm. on Stankonia. But then you also did another record. It wasn't as well known, but I, I loved it. It was called Black Mermaid, but it was on the Society yeah. of Soul Out. Yeah. Do you remember anything about those sessions? Yeah. I was like... <laughs> I like, I
3: like I, they they reminded me of Parliament Funkadelic too because all of them were the... Outcast, dungeon family, and and goody mob—they was all yes. together at that time, and they hadn't separated into those. So I didn't know who the record was gonna be, you know. <laughs> who, but I just knew all sleepy and and um, all of them, you know, big boy, all of them. They was, you know, they just come down in the dark. You know, I, I stayed. I pretty much lived in dark. You know, under Dallas from the climax days. Yeah, and so that was like. I, I, I love that my part time in Atlanta. Yeah, was, was that that whole um, Dungeon, whole Dungeon family? They had a bunch of good songs. Mm.
4: How did you uh, get up with? Oh, I was going with more of, King of your hip hop collabs. Yeah. You and Kendrick Lamar on uh, "Pimp mm-hmm. Butterfly." Mm-hmm. How did that come up about?
3: I, my, one of my grandkids said that he wanted to do a song with me, and that I should do it with him. That he was. He talked the same shit that I talked. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> but when I yep. met him, he was, he was a smart kid. God damn. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he went to school and he still had the street thing, mm-hmm. you know. He was, like, well aware. You know, and I know most of the people from Compton, you know, and that, he, was, um, <laughs> he was a whole nother energy from that. Yeah. And he's really, he put he put work in. He reminds you of, like, you like Beyonce or like Prince? Mm-hmm. They put work mm-hmm. in. Like Michael Jackson put work in. He's another one of those people that that puts the work in.
1: Did you say at one point you had to babysit the Jacksons when you were? Uh, I don't know if I heard that right. You were a staff writer at Motown,
3: and mm-hmm. no, I was said babysit. It was Carrie Gordy. Oh, they, okay, Carrie,
1: who was uh, when they
3: when they were yeah, right. Carrie. Yeah, when um they lived in New York, when when we worked at the Brill Building. Oh, Carrie Gordon, wait, you worked at the Brill Building? I worked at the Brill Building sixty-two, three, what the oh, hell was yeah. that like? Joe wow. Joe, <laughs> Bette, Joe Joe Beth was there. I did not know that. Joe Beth was on the ninth floor. I, I worked, never knew that. Carol so you were running King, to Carol King and Neil Sedaka and
2: Le- 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 Jerry Stroller. Jerry Goffin.
3: Yeah, all of that, dude. Oh, no wonder your song, wow. had,
1: no wonder your lyric game is so tight.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I would, I've been uh, Don Kirshner, Jesus Christ, Cold wow. Picks. really. Yeah, you ever hear Gene Red? Yes, uh, yes. Again, Redd. cool in the game, Gene Red. Cool, okay, yeah, Gene Red, Cecil Holmes, Buzzy Willis. We all worked together before they, they went to work with Neil Bogart at Buddha. We all work for Gene Red. He did cool in the gang, the Soul Sisters, Inez and Charlie Fox. Really. Gene Gene was that one. That's Penny Ford's brother. Penny Ford uh, formerly of Snap and uh, Yeah, that's
1: her brother. Well, of her own right. She used to be on Toll Experience Records. Um, yeah.
4: That was wow. Gap Band label.
1: She's
3: on I know one that. Of her, she's on our album too. Wait, when did she join? When did Penny Ford join? She she was on one of my albums. She's um <laughs> on the on the Paisley Park album, on really? The, uh, yeah,
0: this is I yeah, got the power voice. Is that yes,
3: that's her. I, I got, got the,
0: one. That's
1: her. <laughs> you know you know everything we're talking about. You just don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know that. You so know. okay, this is the this is another question I had in reflection. The Chronic Man. was such a flag planting <laughs> album of your legacy. Mm. You damn near produced it yourself. Hmm. <laughs> why have why have you and Dr. Dre like? In listening to it, I was like, "Yo, why hasn't George and Dr. Dre just made an album together?" Because he clearly made the Chronic as an audition love letter to you.
0: I mm. know. <laughs> uh, I know.
3: I don't know. I would like to see that happen too. I work with Cube and. Snoop too. Yep. And Snoop all mm-hmm. the time.
0: Just
3: you understand. know what I'm saying? Though, so, but um, you know, that's like, have that's you followed. have you and Dre ever talked about? Hey, let's get no, together. We, we never we never had a chance to kick it. You know, we just. stayed. State. No, we haven't. Mm-mm.
0: Make it happen, Amir.
3: We got to make, make this happen. Ha- make it happen, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would Nothing. love to do
1: that. Jesus Christ, I is Zoom. I man, it's such a. Ob- Captain Obvious moment.
2: Wow, be the bridge, Amir.
1: Be the bridge. I'll be the bridge. Three questions and then I'll, I'll stop.
0: Can I ask a dumb question before you ask your real smart one? There's
1: no such thing as, as so dumb questions.
0: Because I know he's answered it, but I just wanted, to, I just really wanted to know what was with the, you mentioned your life changed with the copyright stuff and everything, but visually, when did your life change? Because I, I feel like I saw you on at the Roost Jam in LA like years and years ago, but that was the first time I saw you in a suit with the hat, looking fine. The hat, head, yeah, the fedora, the hat, yeah, the fedora. I yes. thought
1: it was yo. I thought it was Tariq for Yo, Tariq. You,
2: uh, who is that? Then,
1: <laughs> when he walked in the door, I was like, "Wait, Tariq's wearing a suit." Oh my God, that's George <laughs> Clooney. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is some real shit.
3: Yeah, I, I had to I, I had to go through that period for a minute, for a minute, you know, just to straighten up for a second. But then uh, as soon as I did that, Cube told me say. Man, put the costume back on. Fuck that really? shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what made you do it? Because what made you do it? Period. In the first place. Well, I just figured it was time to
3: change again. I've been to t- change and people don't, you know, think it's a new dude.
0: They did. Yeah, we did.
2: Accomplished. Yes, I did. Okay. I thought it was Tariq.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have a question about the 20 grand in Detroit. Is there any truth to the rumor that you... Yep. W- <laughs> I, knew, I need I to get the it. question out yet. Is yeah. there any truth to the rumor that you got butt naked? Yep. Ah! No, I, no. I need to get the question Hit out.
2: Hit, the, the answer is yes. Gary
1: Gordy's table or Dinah
3: Ross's table? No, I didn't it, pee. I didn't. Okay, pee. I heard that. you <laughs> Love it. Okay. A
0: disruptor. I just rubbed it.
3: I pulled wine. I pour wine on my on my head. It dripped down my body. So it, it appeared that I peed on a drink. Obie Chardonnay.
1: <laughs> I can't even imagine Barry Gordy and Dinah yes. Ross
3: at a Funkadelic show. They used to call it slumming. They used to go slumming. <laughs> ah. whenever, whenever we was at, we was at uh, 20 Gram, you put on your jean with holes in them and patches that say, fuck you, and you go slumming with people foam. That was the thing. They have minks on and jeans with holes in and they would be, be coming down to get funky. But the, the, the thing is, is that Hendrix could not sit.
1: I mean, who, who knows if he would have finally broken through the other side had he lived. How are you guys, in facing Black people, trying to sell this radical concept? Yeah. And how did it work? Because
3: we were too Black for white folks and too white for Black folks. But the people that liked us stayed with us forever. Mm. You get they went slowly, but you built slowly, but the one that came with you stayed forever. But it was too, it was definitely too too white for black folks. And it was too black for white, for, for most white folks. But like I said, the fans that liked us was a cult. Yeah. And they still is, I mean, I got them out there my age right now, still yeah. want to put on a diaper.
4: <laughs> yeah. Was it a specific uh, choice to keep funkadelic the more kind of rock side of what yeah. you're doing in Parliament, yeah. the more R&B kind of yeah. soul side?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That was intentional.
1: But, but coming to One Nation Under the the Group, <laughs> we, yeah, we get out of, we get out of sync every once in a while. I mean, <laughs> so did the funkadelic members feel
3: a certain way? Like, yeah, wait a minute,
1: this sounds like no. Parliament.
3: No, they was all on all the records anyway. We, we was on everybody was on both records, so it didn't matter.
1: So, they didn't when, think... so when songs get released, are you like, okay, this is definitely going to like at any point was One Nation Under Groove about to be a Parliament record,
3: or you were just like, no, that was that was straight from the moment we cut it. We was cutting for Funkadelic. Mm. Junior had just got with us, say on One Nation. Okay. Junior just got with us, so we took the equipment out of the box. They were playing on brand new equipment, so they was enthused as hell. And that oh, track man. just came off, and we did it was freestyle. I just, a girl gave me that title from D.C. Of
0: course.
3: We said, y'all, the audience <laughs> like, one nation on the groove. So I just started singing that, you know, one nation. On, and that was the chant, and that was a quick song, and First Funkadelic like really hit, but that, that was, yeah, that was gonna be Funkadelic. And Knee Deep was definitely for Funkadelic.
1: How, how do you know when a song is done? Because a lot of your songs are maybe eight to nine miniature courses or mini parts that add up to a bigger picture. For any of you- Atomic that, Dog
4: is like 12 chords. Like yeah, 12 I was chords.
1: gonna say, if you, if, you, <laughs> if you just type in Atomic Dog edit, I'm certain that you'll find someone's version of the song in which you'll hear parts of the song that you never knew existed before. But mm. like it, with you, it's just like any idea works, just put it on tape and it'll find a home. Or like, how do you
3: how do you structure what goes here for eight bars? And well, I have to change my theory on that lately because they they got Snapchats and short songs now and TikToks, so they can't be long songs too much no more. Mm-hmm. So I have to, like, make myself stop. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd just go, I just be going creative crazy. And but, then I know now that they can edit and take parts out. So that yeah. really makes me, you know.
1: No, but, I mean, you're the originator of that. Like, because, you know, if you tell somebody, sing, not just Knee Deep, there's eight parts you can choose and right. it's still and identifies but that's a, eight
4: hooks and we all know that, which one. We that, still know the that, same that, song.
3: That's what, that's what Prince said. He said, man, you got eight songs in, in, in Knee Deep. He said, you can sample each part and make a whole song out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what made it great. Hey, how you.
0: many grandbabies do you have, uh, Mr. Clem?
3: Man, I'm gonna count them up till I remember that I got to count. Them. I got, I got hey.
0: quite
3: a few. <laughs> okay, that's he, he's working.
1: No, <laughs> yeah. This is this conversation is long overdue. I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank from you, the man, of my heart. Let's do this. Let's do this, man. We will do this. <laughs> and congrats on your your freedom and your your legacy. Yeah. Thank you
4: very much. And getting your shit back for real.
1: Yes, yes. absolutely. And if you
3: find if you got anybody that really wants to join in. On getting their stuff, let me know. Hey, I'm on it. I'll, I'll be
1: calling. Okay.
2: You.
1: Yes, lie And I'm Pay Bill and Sugar Steve and Planticolo. This is Quest Love Supreme, the Grand Imperial God Himself, George Clinton. George Clinton. Thank you very much. We will Take see care. you on the next go round of Quest Love
4: Supreme. Thanks.
1: Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio.